0: What up? What up? What up, everyone? Welcome to episode 203. You heard that right. Episode 203 of Combos Court and I am... Combo. Don't forget to rate, review, and punch down on that subscribe button right on your Apple Podcast app or wherever you listen to Combo's Core. Today's show is a little bit of a change of pace. On this episode, Dr. Pat Davidson joins in. Pat has a PhD in exercise physiology. This was a great conversation. We actually recorded this one way back in April 2020. 20 men. You could find Pat on Instagram at Dr. Pat Davidson. That's D R period P A T D A V I D S O N. You know, you could find me on Instagram at 1 2 combo. That's O N E T W O C O M B O. Intro music by Luca Beats. Let's get into it. Dr. Pat
1: Davidson, Pat has a PhD in exercise physiology, former strongman competitor. Pat, I wanna know, growing up, um, did you ever think you were gonna have a PhD? Uh, absolutely
2: not, yeah. Okay. I, I, uh, not my wildest dreams, to tell you the truth. I, I was a bit of a pain in the ass as a, uh, as a younger kid, particularly in like middle and high school. Uh, I probably had more behavioral problems than like uh, necessarily demonstrating the ability to get a higher, higher, like a advanced degree in anything
1: during my career, my, during my playing career, like running sprints was like a huge thing for me. And I really wanted to ask you, what's the science behind
0: it?
2: Yeah. You know, it's uh, boy, I'll tell you, it's a, it's a, it's a good question. I think, especially because we're primarily going to be talking about how things apply to basketball. Right. So, right. Um, you know, I think that it's, it's always a case of, of, of taking training that maybe would be used for one sport. Like a lot of times, you know, like a basketball player might be interested in, in, in weight room training. And, you know, sometimes when you talk about weight room training, you're talking about it from the perspective of how it would apply. Like there's sports that, that people play that are based on the weight room. There's Olympic style weightlifting. There's, there's powerlifting. There's bodybuilding. There's CrossFit. There's, there's all these different sports that involve the weight room and they influence the way that people end up using the weight room to train for other things like basketball or football or baseball or something like that um and and i would say it's similar when you talk about sprinting you know it's like there is the sport of sprinting where people compete in the 100 meters 200 meters indoor in the 60s and stuff like that and and the preparation that goes into developing elite level sprinters Sometimes we use those same concepts when we talk about applying it to to basketball players, and um, and it's it's interesting that that's kind of how the way the way that things work from a training perspective. We borrow the concepts that the elite athletes in one realm use, and we kind of bastardize them and do oftentimes kind of a a so-so job of implementing those same techniques when we train other athletes with those methods. But um, yeah, when we talk about the science of sprinting, really, uh, it, what it comes down to is that there's, there's different phases of a sprint. You know, if I have a 100-meter sprint, when, when, when coaches and scientists that are, that are really good at analyzing this stuff, when they talk about breaking down a 100-meter sprint, they divide it into different segments. You kind of have the start and the first 10 meters, then you have 10 meters up to 20 meters, Then you've got 20 meters up to 65 meters and 65 meters to the finish for the 100. And there's different physical qualities that go into determining whether or not you're going to be good at those different segments. Just because you're good zero to 10 doesn't mean you're going to be good at the part that involves being uh, good at 65 to 100. Uh, and, And when you talk about zero to 10, it's largely based on your ability to start and accelerate, which is determined mostly by your maximal strength capabilities. Right. Um, between 10 and 20 is what, what it oftentimes gets referred to as speed strength between 20 and 65 is your elasticity and between 65 and hundred is what's referred to as special endurance. Um, so it it really comes down to like uh when you're evaluating other sports primarily, you look at like how many yards or meters does a typical basketball player usually run during the course of a play uh or or game time activity and and you don't typically see things that get up to the level of you know even twenty to sixty five meters right uh, so so like from us You know, it's, it's funny to me, like, uh, like human beings, like we're, we're a fairly stereotypical animal in a lot of ways. Like we're a tribal creature and we love to tell each other stories and our favorite are simple stories that have a lot of like, uh, easy to understand parts of them. We don't like it when there's nuances or complexity added to it.
1: And I think it's even more so as athletes.
2: hundred percent. Just tell me one thing and that's it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and so if I'm looking at it from a simple story perspective in terms of how does how does knowledge about sprinting impact development of basketball? The simplest story that ultimately is wrong is that the only thing that you need to do is work on zero to 10 meters uh, or possibly zero to maybe 20 meters since a basketball court is what only 94 feet long. Yes, sir. So it's approximately 30 meters long. So the farthest distance you would ever run in a straight line would be about 30 meters. So let's not worry about many of the qualities that that are associated with further down the track. And let's just work on um, acceleration based capabilities. And so basically zero to 10 and 10 to 20. That's the simple story that everybody wants to hear. So if we get the athlete stronger and then we get the athlete to do things better from the perspective of looking at like box jumps or agility ladder things, that should transfer over to making a basketball player like faster and more specifically trained for basketball the problem with that is that it misses major ingredients of well-rounded all-around development of just a human being in general and it also it fails to prevent some of the the really common injuries that you'll see in basketball and other sports that involve explosive play. Um so where I'm getting to with this and and for you know a better resource than myself on this, I I um I encourage people to look into the work of Derek Hansen, who is a a track and field coach and who also works with a, a number of NFL teams for uh return to play. Like when guys pull hamstrings on Tuesday at practice, they'll fly Derek in and they'll have their guy playing in a game on Sunday. Um, so he's, he's kind of a, a true master when it comes to being able to prepare athletes for full speed gameplay stuff. And, and one of the big things Derek talks about is gap analysis. So gap analysis is basically, I'm going to take a look at everything you're doing from a preparation standpoint to get ready to be, to play in the game. You know, it's like, okay, I I take a look at, at this basketball team, everything they're doing for training. They are using the weight room. They are going for long runs for aerobic conditioning. They are playing the game in practice. They do all of their game-based drills. Um, Unfortunately, what we're missing here is that they're not developing the elastic qualities of their tissues. Okay? And, you know, like... uh, and, and the coaches might be like, but well, no, we're definitely developing the elastic quality of our tissues. Look at how many agility drills we're doing. We have the agility ladder, we've got cones, we're cutting, we're doing all this kind of stuff. And, and if you're looking at it from a scientific perspective, you know it comes down to ground contact times. And agility drills are, are slow, long duration ground contact times. They're too slow to actually develop the elastic qualities of the tissues. Uh, you don't really develop elastic qualities until it's very rapid very short duration ground contact time And that's what happens for sprinters when they're actually reaching Towards and near top speed. It's a, it's purely an elastic event when you're hitting top speed um, now where, where this is all getting to is you know, there's two primary types of tissues that we're trying to develop in athletes that have to be explosive and have to be fast. And that would be muscles and tendons. And you can think of it from the perspective that the muscles are the brakes and the tendons are the springs. That's their primary role. Uh, If all we're doing is training in the weight room and training with agility drills and not doing anything that's top speed or very uh, short duration ground contact time, we're only training the brakes of the vehicle. We never actually train the springs to behave properly like springs. Uh, so, you know, when you have failed to develop the springs properly, the athlete oftentimes tries to get the brakes to act like springs. And that's a huge problem. Um, and that's where a lot of muscle pulls probably are coming from. Uh, so it's it's like – I. If your springs aren't properly trained, they're not going to be good springs. And if they're not prepared and they're not good springs, it's probably setting up for a number of tendon-based injuries and pain-based problems. So that's one of the areas that I'm I'm a huge proponent of getting across to athletes and coaches is there needs to be an understanding of all of the different physical qualities that go into athleticism like really understand what they are, define them, categorize them, understand that there have to be specific drills that you would use to develop those qualities. And that, you know, it's, it's specificity. You know what I mean? It's almost like, it's like medicine in a lot of ways. You give someone a very specific drug when they have a very specific condition. And if you give somebody else the same drug, that's got a different condition, it might be poison for them. You know, it's, it's kind of like, uh, you have to know what the right ingredient is to add at the right time. And giving basketball players enough of an elastic training stimulus is a really big deal to prepare their tendons to be optimal springs and simultaneously train the muscles to be optimal breaks. And if you've got that kind of a situation going, then you're going to do really well. I would just say modern basketball training is too break focused. You know, even though we think it's not because coaches look at at, coaches watch basketball and then they look at agility drills and they say to themselves, boy, these agility drills look a hell of a lot like basketball. So we should do more of these things. And they are all, you know, basketball coaches are notorious for telling their strength coaches. Hey, listen, we need to do more agility drills, bust out that ladder, uh, make them do, you know, side shuffles and and it's like, no, man, like. Trust me, they're already getting enough of that in practice. My gap analysis shows me you're already doing it. So let's do the stuff that you're not doing so that we develop a well-rounded human. Yeah,
1: from what you're telling me, it would seem that jumping rope and depth jumps would be a good idea and would be very beneficial.
2: I think especially the jumping rope one. You know, I think that that depth jumps are, are a drill that has become super popular but when you really get into like the implementation of depth jumps, you shouldn't use those unless you're incredibly advanced from a training perspective. I was Both thinking that
1: because the point of the depth jump is to be on the ground for the least amount of time
2: possible. They are a great drill. It's just I would say they're like an end stage development drill. Gotcha. Like, okay. You know, um, the, 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 the Soviets are the, the ones that kind of came up with the methodology of using the depth jump. And they used it with a lot of their triple jumpers and high jumpers. And, um, but they prepared these guys for years to be able, before they started implementing depth jumps. Um, you know, they had standards that they had to reach. Like, you know, you'd wanna have a double body weight squat before you were allowed to do depth jump training. Um, and you would do a number of other prerequisite plyometric training moves before introducing depth jumps. But a, a jump rope is a tremendous tool. Uh, particularly for repeat, uh, you know, very low ground contact, uh, elastic training. So it's a really good tool.
1: Is there anything similar that you could do with the jump rope or
2: anything, any other exercise you like? Absolutely. Um, you know, uh, there's, there's a whole group of, of running mechanics drills that track and field coaches use, and they're called mock drills, M-A-C-H. And they were developed uh I, I can't remember if the guy was polish gerard mock was the name of the coach who developed these drills but they're you know if you look them up you'll be able to see them and and you can get uh you know it's great that the internet exists and youtube and all that kind of stuff but you know a lot of marching skipping uh and then the other drills are a runs and b runs are the primary ones that are used in track and field but when they're done properly they really do, uh, they do two things, which I think are very important. They develop elasticity and that elastic quality in training of tendons, but they also improve the mechanics that athletes demonstrate when they run. And, um, you know, a lot of times coaches will blame running uh, too much as the problem, but they never teach their athletes the right way to run. You know, it's, it's like, if you do anything really poorly and then you do a lot of it, you're asking, you're kind of playing with fire, same thing um, with shooting yeah exactly yeah you're yeah, just reinforcing yeah. really bad habits right and you know so running mechanics that that utilize these mock drills can really build a lot of great habits into the the way that people actually run and so they're they're they're, they're kind of like a you know one stone two bird kind of exercise uh you're developing a really important quality that oftentimes gets neglected and secondly you're going to improve the actual mechanics that people demonstrate when they're running so that when they run, they, they're less likely to hurt themselves in the process.
1: Right. So I was watching, um, Pat, I was watching Joe Rogan's podcast and the guy Pevel Pavel, the kettlebell guy, it's hard for me to pronounce his last name. Um, yeah,
2: I think it's satsu uh, Satsulin.
1: There you go. There you go. He said that we really don't know what causes hypertrophy, but is that the case?
2: You know, it's, He's technically right, right with that statement because, uh, you know, the best and brightest minds in, in the science of, of muscular development, they don't know all of the mechanisms at this point in time, you know, like, and, and I'll tell you, like, I, I've done my fair share of reading into the mechanisms of what causes muscles to grow, and you're talking about really advanced science when you get into that realm. Um, you know, it's, it's all based on protein synthesis and I don't know if this will bring up really bad memories of like biology class, uh, <laughs> for a lot of people, but you know, you've got transcription and translation where you basically copy a part of the, the, the nucleotides in the DNA, and then you take that copy out to the ribosome inside the cell, and then you go through this process of sending you know, uh, messenger RNA out to grab these amino acids and build the protein at the level of the ribosome. See, I can already tell, like, I'm I'm, I'm giving you bad memories of all this kind of stuff. And you know, there's like these triplicates and stop codons and start codons and, and all this kind of stuff that, that people are like, Oh no, what are we talking about? So when you get into protein synthesis, it's, it's one of the most fundamental biological scientific inquiry places that exists, I mean, we're talking about like Watson and Crick, the guys that discovered DNA and um, something called the central dogma theory of biology of all physical biological systems are built from DNA, building a message that goes to RNA and that message goes to a protein and you don't exist if not for this approach, but it's complicated stuff. And when you get down to anything that's very complicated, some of those mechanisms get, Damn confusing. And the scientists are like, well, we don't really know how this exact step of translation works. So it's a technically correct statement that pavel's making in terms of, hey, we don't know exactly how this stuff works, in terms of like what causes the exact molecular changes that lead to muscle hypertrophy. But do we know
1: what right? methods cause muscle yes. gain? Okay.
2: Yes, because it's a very misleading statement, you know it's almost like if you've got a really slick lawyer and they're like confusing the the witness on the stand and then it's like you know somebody goes to jail that didn't commit a crime because you had the best attorney in the world that just sort of tricks them into saying some stuff that they didn't really mean um so yeah we kind of we know pretty damn well what you have to do in order to gain some muscle mass you okay. know and and it's it's pretty simple and straightforward for the most part. Um, you know, step it's like a two-part thing of combining the weight room with the kitchen in an appropriate manner. The right. kitchen is probably a little bit easier to describe. Like you, you know, everyone has a maintenance level of calories that keep them at the same body weight. And there's a, a threshold point where you would be hypocaloric and you would start losing weight. And then there's another threshold point of being hypercaloric and you start gaining weight. Okay. So if you're going to gain muscle mass, you have to eat a hypercaloric diet. You can't eat maintenance and you definitely can't be hypocaloric.
1: Is this the law of thermodynamics?
2: Well, thermodynamics is, is sort of part thing. of it. Yeah. Like, yeah. uh, you know, what? when that, when we talk about that, we usually talk about like adaptive thermodynamic changes in people to where you know, if you continue to eat more food, your body will just simply, like, learn to burn calories more effectively. You know right. what I mean? But, and if you're having trouble hearing me, it's it's uh, 7 p.m. right now in Manhattan. And it's, uh, it's that time for five minutes where everybody screams for the uh, medical responders. Salute. Salute uh, to them. Yeah. For we sure. got fireworks going off. There's all kinds of, you know, it's an interesting time with this quarantine. Most so, definitely. Yeah,
1: so, Pat, during this quarantine, um, a lot of people will be working
2: with their body weight, but is it tough, like, with no weights? Like, Yeah, it makes it more challenging, that's for sure, you know? Yeah. Um, but I would say that there's still plenty of low-hanging fruit, and, and, and it, it still is this explanation of the kitchen plus the, the weight room or just training your muscles that'll, that'll accomplish this thing. And, like I said, like, you've you got to be able to eat enough food to actually drive the process and gain muscle mass. If that's not part of the equation, it ain't going to happen.
1: So you can gain muscle with calisthenics?
2: You absolutely can, especially if you're just eating a diet that goes above and beyond your maintenance level of calories. Um, Now, the thing is, you don't need to turn into a big fat bastard either. You only need to go above and beyond your maintenance calories by about 250 to 500 calories to basically get all the benefits without lumping on a ton of additional fat too. Because for basketball, is, is, a, is a like, fat don't fly is the old saying. Like, 100%. if you want to jump high and run fast, you can't be fat. It's not going to be – it's just extra tissue that's hanging on you that's, that's only going to, to be a problem uh, from the perspective of running fast and jumping high and the ability to do it repeatedly. But, um, yeah, nowadays, like, if you don't have enough muscle mass, You're probably going to limit how far you can go. You need some body armor to be able to bang and to get some rebounds down low. Uh, When you got dudes like LeBron James, like six foot 10 and 265 pounds, uh, you know, just checking on you, like he's going to move you. If you don't have any body armor, you're going to be bruised up and banged up by the end of that game. What do you you think? The weight is the other part of this, and and it could be bought. Look, I think a lot of people are, are – they could get incredible results with bodyweight training. Um, you know, we're not – like, let's say you're you're the most elite power lifter in the world and you bench press 600-plus pounds or you squat 1,000. Like, you're going to struggle with gaining some muscle mass if, if you don't have weights. Uh, but if you're a regular person or even just a regular athlete that doesn't have this huge training history with strength training, trust me, you can do – Plenty of body weight drills and and gain some muscle mass. The trick to it is, you know, uh, generally speaking, you would say that like the rep ranges that lead to um, gaining muscle mass are anything between six reps and thirty reps is a is a good range that really you thirty reps. Yeah, all the way up to thirty. That's that's uh, a lot of the newer research has shown. Thirty reps is just as effective as ten reps. Um, wow, for for being. The trick though, is you got to work hard. You know what I mean? You got to put substantial effort into those reps. They can't just be, you can't stop when you're, you know, you could have done 15 more reps and you're like, nah, I'm bored. I'm just, I'm just going to stop. You know, you have to get pretty close to where you wouldn't be able to do any more reps. Like, and if it's a higher rep count, it's going to burn. It's going to be really uncomfortable. Um, but I guarantee a lot of guys out there with just push-ups and bodyweight squats and split squats and you know, go to a playground and grab like some some handlebars. Do you uh, like unilateral work for for basketball players? Yeah, it's great. I mean yeah. it's great for everybody, you know. Okay. Um I, I don't really distinguish basketball players that much from almost any other human. Right. Like it's there are certain qualities and movements that are essential to include in a program for anybody. And, and the thing is like, there's, there's probably so many uh, charlatans and, and smooth talkers out there that are gonna huh. trick people into buying basketball specific programs and this, that, and the other thing. You just need a good solid human specific program that includes all the big basics in it and is organized appropriately. That gets you to work hard while you stay safe so that you don't injure yourself in the process. The biggest thing when it comes to hypertrophy or results in general, there's two words that are going to trump everything else, and that's consistency and adherence. You got to get on a program, and that program is, you know, there's a few numbers that come to mind: uh, three and fifty. Okay, three times a week, fifty weeks a year. If you can do that, you're probably going to be great. Um, You know, and then if you just stick with with basic movements, you know. the way that I, you know, I, I don't wanna go into all of the categorization systems, but you know, some kind of a squatting motion, some kind of a hinging motion, you gotta push with the upper body, you gotta pull with the upper body, you gotta do it horizontally, you gotta do it vertically. Um, you know, if, if you include those as your big basics uh, and you do it three times a week for 50 weeks a year, yeah, 50 weeks for, throughout the year, like you're you're going to get good results if you try hard and you stick to a plan. You know, it, those are those are really the biggest pieces to me. Um and then like I said, it, you could you could be working from reps between 6 and 30 and get the same kind of muscle gain results. Um you know, it, which is nice because for some people lower reps are more comfortable and easier for them to work with. For other people higher reps are more You know you don't have to make it a one size fits all kind of a situation there's there's options and choices and um things that can work better for certain bodies and compared to others what are the benefits of kettlebell swings well kettlebell swings are uh you know they're a a hinge they're a hip hinging exercise right and they uh allow you to be able to create a little bit more velocity than let's say a deadlift uh like I have a very specific way of categorizing exercises. You know, I, I create a motor program, a motor pattern, uh, a stance, and a movement plane that I have people go through. Okay, so there's I have 13 different motor patterns that people can train, and one of those motor patterns is a hip hinge, and there are certain exercises that fall into the hinge category. The deadlift is one of them. Like oftentimes people are familiar with single leg deadlifts as well. Um, you know, Romanian deadlift, stiff leg deadlift. Morning. A good morning is also a hinge. Yep. Uh, and the other, so I have a motor, a motor pattern that you can be doing. And then I have a whole other side, which is kind of like, uh, loading velocity and duration, you okay. know, some exercises are heavy. Some exercises are light, some exercises are in the middle from a loading perspective. Velocity, there's fast exercises, there's slow exercises, and there's some in the middle. And then duration, there's long duration, short duration, and some that are in the middle. You know, so when I'm creating a program for somebody, I make sure that I include all the relevant motor patterns that they would need. Everybody's going to get a hinge, okay? Now I have to determine with the hinge that I've put in there for you, uh, does it? Do I need to give you heavy hinges, moderate hinges, or light hinges? Do I need to give you fast hinges, yeah. slow hinges, or moderate hinges? And do I need to have you hinge for long duration, moderate duration, or short duration? Because so I, an I think a kettlebell
1: a kettlebell swing would be a, a fast hinge, right? One hundred percent. And it would be,
2: it would be a large moderation. I mean, it would be a lot of reps usually, right? Usually, that's exactly it. Yeah. Like for the way that I cut off duration points is. Long duration exercises are two minutes or longer. Moderate duration exercises are 15 seconds to a minute and 59 seconds. Short duration exercises are less than 15 seconds. So most of the time, I'm not gonna have people kettlebell swing for more than two minutes. So it's probably gonna be a a hinge that's going to feature moderate load at high velocity for moderate duration
1: you know? Right. But is there, is there that kind of option for every exercise? Like for the bench press, is there like an explosive bench press? Is there an explosive row?
2: There are, there are. That's pretty cool. Uh, Yeah. You know, it's like, and, and what I like is like, I, what I try to do is I almost create like paint inside the number, paint inside the line sort of a thing for people. Like I, I encourage people always like, if I'm talking about basketball, what are the most important motor patterns for basketball? You know, like, and, and to me, like, I'll just go through my 13. It might make more sense to just yeah, hear the whole list. So I've got breathing. I've got core exercises for the pelvis, core exercises for the thorax. I've got knee dominant exercises. Actually before I do that, I've got locomotion. I've got triple extension. I've got change of direction. I've got throwing. I've got knee dominant exercises, hip hinging exercises. Horizontal pushing, horizontal pulling, vertical pushing, and vertical pulling. All right. So, so that's the available 13.
0: Does a you know sprint fall I mean? somewhere
2: in there? A sprint is locomotion. Okay. And nice. it's, it's low load, high velocity, short duration locomotion is how I would define that thing. And people are always like, okay, well, is there a such thing as high load locomotion? And I'm like, yes. Have you ever seen the sport of strongman where you have to pick up like a yoke on your back and walk with it forward? Which so you've like, done? I've done that. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's a good time. Um, <laughs> so it's kind of like, you know, when I think about basketball players, I would, for, I'm would i thinking about, like, what are the most important motor patterns that would be needed in their program design? And, like, immediately I would think, like, locomotion for sure. If you're really slow, you're probably a terrible basketball player. Triple extension for sure. If you can't jump, you're probably on the bench. Um, so those, those are mostly the- Olympic
1: lifts, right? When you're talking weight Well, room.
2: triple extension is also jumping. Okay. You know, anything okay. that's a, ply- a plyometric is triple extension. Even um, a skip? Even a power skip? Skipping goes into locomotion. Okay. There's okay. some, like, bleed over, you know what I mean? Yeah, like,
1: yeah.
2: All of the running drills are locomotion.
1: So, to create a great athlete, you think you would have to train all 13 of those, or it depends on the person?
2: Not necessarily. Um, okay. You know, or at least I don't need to focus on all 13 right um you know what i mean like uh, for for the majority of athletes i have my i break the patterns down into athletic patterns general population patterns and special population patterns so special populations are like people that have diseases or there's other things that fit into there too. pregnancy like children pregnancy exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. elderly people all right. of those things and there's like different considerations you need like people with uh like for instance, respiratory diseases, I better include breathing and teaching them like all of the fundamentals of breathing with them. That goes a long way. Also pregnant women, to be able to prepare them for labor, breathing is a major pattern. Right. Um, so then there's general population and mostly their goals are to look better and to be healthy. Weekend warriors, yeah, right? For sure, yeah. It's yeah. like, you know, but but they don't, like if I take a, you know, I'm in, I'm in New York, I get a lot of general population people, but a lot of them are like, finance guys and like Wall Street dudes or something like that. Like if I try to make them do like breathing drills, they're going to, you know, cut my head off or something like that. I better like horizontal push them like crazy so that they can develop their pets. (laughs) You know what I mean? So it's like there's certain patterns that make tons of sense for certain populations. For athletes, in my mind, the athletic patterns are locomotion, triple extension, change of direction and throwing. Like those are the big four when it comes to athleticism and throwing is oftentimes like medicine ball throwing, but it also includes like if you've ever seen like chops and lifts with a stick, definitely um, something like that uh, goes into the weight room under that pattern. Um, But it's like that needs to always be in the program for athletes, but then they do get the basic resistance training patterns as well. Hip extent, hip, hip dominant movements, knee dominant movements, horizontal pushing, horizontal pulling, vertical pushing, vertical pulling. You know, those are kind of the categories that I'm living in. And then for basketball, you know, I would then go over into this quantitative zone and I would be like, what are the loading zones, what are the velocity zones, and what are the duration zones that are super critical for me to include? And, um, you know, if I'm thinking about it from the perspective of hypertrophy, the major place that I need to play from loading is actually moderate duration loading. That's the easiest place to go to for growing muscle mass. Moderate you know, duration, I, okay.
1: Is that a yeah, rep range or is that time?
2: It's, um, it is a, it's based on your one rep max. Everything's okay. based off of a percentage of your one rep max. Okay. So I, I, I cut off high, high load exercises, 80% plus of your one rep max then moderate, moderate moderate load is 79% to 60% and then low okay. load 59% and lighter and which now, and which like,
1: is the one you like best for explosive athletes to become more explosive
2: well, that is probably like it depends on the pattern okay uh, like okay. if i'm talking about if i'm talking about locomotion it's low load or no load yeah right. yeah body weight yeah. is still loading you know what i mean okay so okay i, still I got consider you consider it to be to be loading uh, same thing for triple extension, like you know I want you to jump i don't I don't need to like it's it's funny like I think sometimes uh you get people to get obsessed with the weight room, and it's almost like when I think of a basketball player, I'm thinking about them as like kind of like a combo of like a Ferrari and a uh rally racing car or something like that. You know what I mean like it's got to right. cut and it's gotta go fast and it's gotta be explosive. I don't want to train a Ferrari to be like a tractor, you know like a a a John Deere tractor. Can pull a lot of weight, and it can. So you wouldn't. It.
1: So going back to the hill sprints, you wouldn't want to see an athlete put a weight vest on and run up the hill.
2: No, there's no need. Yeah,
1: that's it's what I'm saying. Good. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I yeah. don't want to turn a Ferrari into a John Deere tractor. Right. Like, you know, if I'm training a f- offensive lineman for football, they probably have to be a little bit more like a John Deere tractor. You know what I mean? They probably have to play more in the high load, low velocity kind of world.
1: Really playing so, through that cool. that resistance. Really playing through that resistance
2: yeah and yeah also yeah just to make them humongous dudes too, you know what I mean, like yeah. uh how much triple extension do I want to do with my linemen if I want right, right, their right. knees healthy, probably very little right um you know, but I need them to bench press five hundred pounds maybe if if they're gonna make it to a really high level um mean your finance-
1: them and your finance clients, both of them need to bench press yeah,
2: man like yeah <laughs> for sure like. <laughs> But you know, Kevin Durant couldn't bench press 185 with his NBA combine, and, uh, and he's a kill- like he's a the-
1: certified killer on the court.
2: Yeah, you know, <laughs> and then he doesn't go number one somehow. Like, like it matters. Ridiculous. Um, so it's it really is like um, you know, I, I try to I I think about the weight room and designing programs like a bonsai tree. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I've got all of these potential motor patterns that I could train somebody with, and I could train them. Uh, in different stances. I can put them on two feet. I can put them on one foot. I could stagger one foot out to the side. Uh, I can have them move forward. I can have them swing side to side. I can have them rotate and twist. I can make them super heavy. I can make it super light. I can make it super fast. I can have them go a long time. I can have them go a short time. But that's just this whole big backspread of choices. But that's not that useful and it's not beautiful training. Uh, a, a master bonsai gardener prunes and they cut the tree down to only the most essential ingredients and that's what i want to do as i'm creating a program for an athlete what is it that's so essential that i need to be able to provide for you that if if it's not there it's a huge critical problem um and and to me that always comes down to like narrowing down what are the most important patterns and like i said the big four for athleticism they can't go out the window locomotion triple extension change of direction and throwing that has to be in there for an athlete then it comes down to like well i've got core exercises i've got resistance training exercises and i've got breathing you know like which a lot of these things are
1: secondarily working your core right
2: 100 percent. yeah right right you know if if i if i use the right choices for the way that i set you up to squat you're gonna have tremendous thoracic development of your abs and everything else. And you could
1: do the extra stuff if you want, but you're going to get, a, you're going to get your abs. Yeah, abs.
2: man. If I'll tell you what, if I take the kettlebell you were talking about for a swing and I have you hold them in front of you like this and squat like that, and it's the right weight, your abs are going to be torched. Right. You know? Right. Um, you know, there, so it's kind of like, I always get, I, I get questions like this sometimes, like what do you think about a kettlebell swing for a basketball player? Yeah, and I know. Like, well,
1: I, I seem, you don't, you don't seem to like those questions too much. Or are you,
2: I actually love them because I think that it leads to like a know, teaching it's, it's a like lesson. I try a to re- lesson. I, I'll try to reverse it in some ways. And it's almost like, Hey, what do you think about, um, you know, dribbling drills with the left hand for a basketball player? Right. It's like, well, it's a, it's part of the overall strategic plan of like preparing someone potentially for, what they would need as a basketball player. But it also kind of depends on like, is it a big, or is it a ball handler? You know what I mean? Because some guys need specific skills about the post and how to box out. Because I'll tell you what, this dude, if he's ever dribbling with his left hand in open space, this is a disaster. We don't even want this dude ever to do that. Versus somebody else, it's like, well, this is James Harden, man. Like, this is the most important thing that this guy does. Like, if he suddenly loses this capability, the whole houston rockets team is screwed so it really i hate the answer of it depends but it's such a big area of it depends case-by-case basis
1: case-by-case basis
2: exactly like if i've got brandon ingram for instance and and this dude needs to go down and bang on the blocks with with lebron you know what i mean like he needs to put some muscle mass on uh that's probably a huge piece for him so for him maybe the focus of the training plan goes a little bit away from locomotion and triple extension and throwing and it needs to be put on hinging and pressing a different focus a different focus exactly yeah you know so so it really like from a general perspective when i think about like let's say 13 year old basketball players that need long-term development i i would say the most important ingredient is the athletic patterns you know make athletes athletic and then have them learn how to lift weights properly but it's probably not going to be the focus versus is there an age you
1: like is there an age you like for um young players to start lifting or like to not lift pretty much
2: well i just think it's how they're lifting you know it's like if i've got I, i think that you should start kids early because it's all about teaching them good habits for life going forward okay you know um but i don't i'm not gonna make these kids do it like like crazy sets where they're going to failure and I've got these Instagram things where the whole team is screaming and going crazy because they get <laughs> their one rep max squat. It's like, man, this is a six just foot loading a whole bunch
1: inch. just loading a whole bunch of weight on the kid's back.
2: <laughs> yeah, like this is a six foot four inch 13 year old boy yeah. that is like a baby giraffe. Like I, I don't want <laughs> I don't want to try to crush his skeleton right now. Right. I right. just want him to learn how to squat properly. Right. Um You know, like, so that when he's 18, now he's got five years of doing this pattern properly. You know, it'd be the same thing of, like, taking a nine-year-old who just learned how to shoot a basketball and putting him under the lights for, like, a three-point shooting contest. Right. Like It's going to be a train wreck.
1: Yeah, Um, for sure. You know,
2: but if I just teach him, like, if I put him near the hoop and I have him practice over and over again, Nice, you know, nice mechanics and how to integrate the legs in to be able to create some thrust and like yeah. how to have a proper follow through and use the backboard and like you know what I'm saying. Like just teach For them sure. the fundamentals so that when it's time to focus on that thing later, um, they're doing it the right way. So right. that's where it's kind of going. Is like there's tons of training options. There's no limit to these options but knowing what the right thing is to focus on at the right time is the creation of the right uh, bonsai tree for people. You know what I mean? Like I need you to be shaped like this right now. And that involves cutting off these branches over here that are not essential for creating the right shape that I'm trying to get at at this point in time. A lot of it, um, is,
1: time, a lot of it is time management pretty much. Like what do you want to focus on, you know?
2: You know, it, that's, that's kind of life in general. Um, right. What's right. the most important thing for you to do right now? Can you identify that? And then self-awareness has a lot
1: to do with that. with that. Of course. Yeah. You know,
2: you know, like, I really do think that that modern day coaching has gotten so crazy from a timeline perspective. It's like everybody wants results and they want them immediately. Actually they want them yesterday. And it's like, I, to me, like maybe I'm too, too old school or like a dinosaur trying to function in this new world. But my primary goal is trying to establish long-term good habits in young men's lives so that that going forward, they can really be successful in their sport, but in their life after their sport. You know, it's like teaching process-oriented lessons for people so that they learn the right way to conduct themselves so that they understand a system and a plan. As opposed to like, hey, we got to win this, you know, U thirteen AAU game because our life depends on it. So I'm gonna only do ISO ball with my best player on <laughs> right. every single play, and right. um, you know, it's like, come on, that's, that's it's it's a problem uh, from the standpoint of like teaching life lessons and teaching long term success outcomes for the benefit of winning immediately at the expense of bigger, more important lessons that can carry over to every element of somebody's life.
1: Right. I wanted to shift to diet. Um, Pat, do you believe someone can reach their athletic potential on a vegan diet?
2: A vegan diet is better than the average standard American diet, but a vegan diet is not the most optimal diet for a human being. So, or for an athlete, athletes are just human beings okay you know Um, but what I would say is that um, the standard American diet which has led to the highest rates of obesity in the history of the world the highest rates of heart disease in the history of the world um, you know it's it's a bad diet and every single time that we compare these new kind of radical diets to the standard American diet, the outcomes are always dramatically better, you know? So if I'm looking at a documentary like the game changers, it's, was um, that guy really
1: the world's strongest man, by the way? That no, sh- he's
2: some bum that I've never even heard of. If, if I, if <laughs> I've never heard of who you are in the sport of strongman, you suck at strongman. Okay. Like it would be like saying that some, the worst guy on the bench in the G league is the NBA MVP. You're like, "Bro, I've never even heard of this guy. What country <laughs> is this dude from?" <laughs> That's they crazy. Even... How how they think yeah. they were going to get away with that? That's pretty crazy. <laughs> I mean, look, like it, it's it's like a uh there's a lot of money at stake for that. You know what I mean? Like yeah. the producers of that own a lot of stock in pea protein for supplementation mm. and if they get a bunch of people to think that a vegan diet is the mm-hmm. best thing since sliced bread bad fucking joke there but if if that's the case then they're going to probably sell a hell of a lot more supplements of, of pea protein and make a lot of money out of this stuff so it's you know what, were the, what, were, the,
1: what were the best strong man you know eating everything <laughs> the, okay. the
2: best strong man in the world is is uh Bjornsson from iceland and he has been coached by a guy named mark bell in terms of like lifestyle and diet based implementations They do blood tests on him so that they can see like where his, um, you know, you know, if there's any limitations like vitamin D or micronutrient insufficiencies that they can put those things together. But, um, you know, like Hafthor Bjornsson was also the mountain on Game of Thrones. And, um, he's, he was a, he was actually a basketball player in Iceland. He's, he's six foot nine and now weighs 440 pounds. Um, But he was not performing up to his potential. He should be the greatest strongman athlete in the history of the sport. But he was coming in like third place over and over again. It was like, what the hell? And it was like, oh, yeah, well, he's traveling all the time. He's flying back and forth between competitions and Game of Thrones filmings and other publicity-based events. So he's not eating three meals a day. You know, he's not sleeping appropriately. And he's changing time zones all the time. So it's like just wreaking havoc on his body. So they were like, listen, man, we got to get you to stop traveling so much. We got to get you on a consistent diet where your calories come up. You know, it's like, it's, I'll tell you what, it's always the fundamentals and and it's the same fundamentals that come back and get professional basketball players uh, because they, they, they have the same problems. They're on the road constantly. You know, they're flying, they're going through different time zones all the time. It's like, hey, you're a Western Conference basketball player. And the Western Conference is insane in terms of what teams actually are involved in the Western Conference. So you could be on a road trip and you could have uh, a game in Minnesota on Monday and you're staying at a hotel in Minnesota that night. You you wake up there uh, and you play the game and then you're right on the plane and the next flight goes to Sacramento and you've got a game there. And that's a, a two hour time difference, okay? you play there on Wednesday after a Monday game in Minnesota right now you play a Wednesday night in Sacramento and the next game is going to be Friday night in Dallas and that's another two hours in the other direction you know like your sleep gets all kinds of thrown off with that you I mean the travel is so mind-numbing like basically you don't get three meals a day in around the same time you know the body it's like it's a lot like a plant in some ways it's got to be fed and watered and it's got to go on a cycle. And if you don't follow those basic things, it throws a lot of things off. So the consistency with eating three meals a day and with sleeping eight hours a night and with trying to keep your system just regular is oftentimes the biggest fight that you have to deal with, with, you know, uh, professional athletes, division one college athletes, you know, journeymen, it's a, so it's kind of like, man, is it a vegan diet? That's going to get the job done. Maybe if it makes you so focused on actually being able to get your meals in on time. And it's, if you're eating a vegan, see, a lot of the things with like the vegan diet, like they're like, look, vegans live longer and they have better rates of heart disease and blah, blah, blah. Is that true? It's like, yeah. Those are true statements from like a broad perspective of examining data. But it's like, think about who the people are that eat a vegan diet. They're usually educated, wealthy people that care about their health, okay? So the other things that are going in the long in their life are like, they're not drinking excessive amounts of alcohol. They're not abusing like a right. lot of the legal street drugs, right. you know, they're, they're sleeping appropriate number of hours. They're not stressed out about not being able to pay their bills, you know. So then you think about like other people that are like eating a standard American diet. And it's like, you know, they had McDonald's for breakfast and uh, a pack of Marlboros for lunch and six Budweiser's for dinner. And it's like, of course, they're going to have problems like they're every element of their life. So a lot of times, like if you just look at certain diets, there's like other lifestyle factors that ride along with it. And it completely throws all the data off. And then you can make these like, really bad scientific conclusions. Whereas if you take one step back and you're like, well, you know, Gwyneth Paltrow is a vegan, but she's also like obsessed with, you know, every other element of fitness and her lifestyle and sleep and stress management. Of course, she's not going to have heart disease and she's going to be healthy. Like you could probably eat uh, a number, like 15 different potential diets and be just as healthy if you take care of sleep and stress and all these other factors as well. The, at the end of the, the story here, the healthiest diet for humans is an omnivorous diet. Like we evolved as hunter-gatherers and we gathered fruits, vegetables, uh, yams, potatoes, things like that, and we hunted for meat. And you know we evolved to be very healthy individuals. Like if you go back and look at the archeological findings, for humans that lived 80,000 years ago, they are very tall, athletic, healthy individuals. Um, you know, the average height of Western people now finally caught up to our ancestors from 40,000 years ago. When we introduced like farming and other dietary factors, we actually shrank. Like average height of the population is the single best indicator of the nutritional status of that population. And, Scandinavia
1: um, has a high yeah yeah has a high because I remember looking at them yeah and they also have a lot of the okay. world's strongest men
2: yeah I want to say either Denmark or uh, which I, pl- I played in Denmark I
1: played in Denmark great country
2: did you yeah I think yeah. The, either one of those countries has the highest average height for any population Right. one of those whatsoever. Scandinavian
1: countries yeah. yeah yeah yeah
2: so you know it's it but the, the truth of the matter is the omnivorous diet like Michael Pollan's written a number of really good books that kind of cover this like uh, most of your diet should be, uh, you know, plant based. You, you still want to eat meat though. Like, like meat is still going to be your best source of readily available, digestible and absorbable protein sources, right. um, you know, and don't eat things that your grandmother wouldn't be able to pronounce on the nutrition ingredient label. Um, you know, yeah. generally speaking shop shop around the perimeter of the grocery store and don't go into the middle of the grocery store if it's in a box or if it's in a can or if it's you know in styro like like those are the the places that you kind of want to avoid but if it's like vegetables potatoes rice meat things from the um, earth things from the earth literally things from the earth yeah
1: right right before we get out of here pat for sure yeah before we get out of here pat uh I wanted to ask you, uh, you've been more than gracious with your time, but I wanted to ask you what you feel is the biggest misconceptions when it comes to sports performance and athletic training.
2: Well, I think sports specificity is one of those things that's incredibly misconceived. Um, You know, it's, it's kind of like, like humans overall, like we have the same bones, we have the same joints, we have the same internal organs, Um, developing health and, you know, uh, addressing physical fitness is is more general than it is specific. Like, watch out for the guys that are like, "Yeah, I've got this very specific basketball program for thirteen-year-old kids." It's like, man, thirteen-year-old bat—the best basketball program for thirteen-year-old kids is probably playing a mixture of sports and also working with a coach from a fitness perspective that teaches the basics really, really well. Um, teaches right. you how to run. Keeping jump. it simple.
1: Keeping it simple.
2: Yeah, run, jump, throw, lift weights. Yeah, um, and and also just like don't play basketball year round. I think that that um you know it's funny the Russians did a study years ago they had more flexibility with what they could get away with. Hmm. Um, you couldn't do this in the, in the United States, but they took a group of of youth athletes and they divided them into two groups. Okay, one group they focused and I, I think they would have been starting this around twelve years old. They focused them on one sport and the other group, they had uh, do a variety of activities and learn how to play a whole bunch of different sports. By the time they were like 15, the one sport focus group was dominating. You know what I mean? They were winning at the international level. They were crushing it. The mixed sport group was like doing so-so around 15. I'll tell you what though, by the time they got up to like 18, the tables had turned. You know, the group that started off playing mixed sports all of a sudden when they were in their primes of of like really getting to like where you'd be an elite level athlete they were starting to dominate on the international level and they were crushing it the group that had only played the one sport had really fallen off by that point that group that played one sport was more injured they were more psychologically burned out their peak was compromised by focusing on one thing too early like We are meant as an animal to do a variety of activities and to become very well-rounded early. And then once you are reaching like your physical maturity, now you can focus on one thing and you're going to bring all of those like the the movements that you learned and the, the skills that you acquired. They can translate over very, very nicely to one sport like hockey's done a pretty damn good job of this. Um, and what you'll see at the really high levels is like the American hockey players are really good at batting the puck out of the air for goals. Right. right. European hockey players are great with using their skates to be able to redirect the puck to their stick. And it's like, oh yeah, well the American kids played baseball and the European kids played soccer. And those are really valuable skills at the really high level. When I was overseas, when
1: I was overseas, we used to play soccer for fun. Like after a win with the basketball on the court. And they were just like so much better than the Americans, the kids from abroad.
2: Well, you remember, you remember Hakeem Before Olajuwon. The guy,
1: yeah, the pros from you abroad know, were better than yeah.
2: Yeah, you know, they talk about like Hakeem Olajuwon had the best footwork in the history of post play, and he didn't yeah. even play basketball until his late teens. He was a soccer player early on. Yeah, it's crazy. And um, you know what I mean. So it's it's kind of like you know I always tell I always try to get this across to like parents and their kids like listen the cream is going to rise to the top you know it always does. Um, I don't know if your kid's going to grow. I don't know if they're going to stay the same height. Uh, I don't know what what the ultimate end point is for for your son or daughter. But I can tell you that life will continue on after sports. And you want your son or daughter to be as long-term successful in whatever life holds for them that they can be, which may be sport for a long time. But there are good habits that you can introduce to your son or daughter's life that start now that will continue to carry over throughout their entire life. And and some of those things are are health, fitness, and lifestyle. Teamwork. And, and exactly, 100%, yeah. you know? And and all of those things become more and more important as you climb the ladder of success in every venture that you can get into in life, including sports. Um, but it's where I'm getting with this is is that it's, It's less about, you know, like, like from from a development standpoint, it's much more important. Like, like you know, with basketball players, for instance, um, they can be great. Like your your peak of how great you're going to be is probably genetically driven. Okay, but maybe your peak, if you have terrible habits as a human being, only lasts for three or four years, and then like nobody remembers you. Whatever happened to that one dude? Versus your peak might last for 15 years if you've established really good lifestyle and habitual activities. Okay. And that is what coaches, particularly in fitness, can provide. They can teach your son or daughter the value of good nutrition, the value of consistently working hard from a fitness perspective, the value of managing stress, and the value of managing sleep. And those are skills that will carry on a long, long time and also keep you out of a lot of trouble. You know, if you care about your sleep, that might prevent you from going out to every club on the road. And if you you value nutrition, that might get your ass up early and so that you're actually eating breakfast. Good habits. Values, you you know what I mean? Like all of these things have tremendous carryover that people don't consider along the way. So I can't tell you how far they're gonna reach. But they're going to reach whatever, whatever it is that they reach. Now I can help keep them there for longer.
1: Pat, great stuff, man. Um, where can we find you on social media and everywhere else?
2: Uh, I pretty much have everything on Instagram right now. Uh, I'm at, at Dr. Pat Davidson on Instagram, so it's DR period Pat Davidson. And uh, yeah, everything that I do is linked in my, my bio link, which is a link tree system. But I post a ton of stuff on there, and um, people can contact me right through that as well.
1: And Pat, you're an author as well, right?
2: I am, yeah. I've written uh, two books that are specific to like training for muscle mass acquisition, uh, Mass and Mass 2. And okay. I'm currently writing a third book, which is a much bigger project. It's called Rethinking the Big Patterns. And it really gets into very high-level information on every element of training that exists.
1: Very cool. Pat, you've been more than gracious with your time. You're always welcome back on the show. Talk soon.
2: Yeah, I'd love to do that. Thank you very much for having me on.
0: Anytime, Pat. Combos Court, man. Another episode of the books. Combination. (laughs) Thank you for listening to Combos Court and big shouts to Dr. Pat for joining in. We appreciate you. Let me know how you feel about this episode by dropping a comment, Write on your Apple Podcast app rate and review wherever you listen to Combos Court and let me know you listen to this episode in its entirety by taking a screenshot of this episode, posting it in your IG stories. Tag me at one two combo. That's O-N-E-T-W-O-C-O-M-B-O. Be on the lookout for episode 204 combo out.